Well, good morning again, and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and uh, we'll be working our way through chapter 4, verse 7. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. You're free to keep it if you'd like. But we're going to continue marching our way through 1 Peter today. Uh, Ashley and I have three kids. We talk about our kids a lot. They each love to swim. They're looking forward to the summer, to going back to Willowwood and spending all day long at the pool. We were just talking about our membership at the pool, thinking about all the fun memories we have swimming. Well, our three kids are very different personalities, and so as we were reflecting back on how they learn to swim, because they're all pretty different, they each learn to swim uh, in different, at different paces, different ways. I felt like Truman, we just tossed him in the pool one day, and he's like a baby dolphin just swimming away. Caroline and Jack are a little bit more cautious. Um, I remember specifically with Caroline, our oldest, she didn't have brothers to show her the way, but she loved the water, but she was really nervous about the uncertainty of it. I remember sitting on the edge of the pool with her. She's a toddler. We're in Virginia, and she loved it, but she hated it um, both at the same time. And I remember before she, could even, before she even knew how to swim, one of the first things that I taught her was how to jump off of the edge of the pool into the arms of her dad. Um, it was fun reflecting on this with her. She did not love this in the first service, but, um, but she was so nervous to do it. And every dad's done this. You're in the pool. You take a couple steps back in the water. She's standing on the edge, and you put your arms out, and you say, honey, you can jump to your dad. And, and she was nervous. She's looking all around, looking at all the other people. And, and what do we say, dads? We say, look right at me. See my arms, hear my voice. Don't look at the other swimmers. Don't look at the water. Like, I am right here, and I'm going to catch you. I always catch you. You can jump, and it is going to be okay. And then the first after the first time that she did it, I mean, she just loved jumping into the water, and I could step further back, but she knew her dad was going to catch her. I mean, what a feeling that is for us, right, dads? The thought or the feeling that your kid is jumping into your arms. But here's what we're going to see in 1 Peter this morning. He is going to tell these five churches, it is time to jump in the water. Now, not literally, but he's going to say, it is time to jump, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. Last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about what they are jumping into. It's not a big pool of water, but it is being a blessing. Look at 1 Peter 3.14, kind of the preface to our passage this morning. This is the pool that they are being called to jump into. It says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Peter is saying, it is time to jump into this water. You are going to be persecuted, but the call is, you will be, you're, you're a blessing the call is don't be scared. The call is have joy. Last week, the call with Pastor Jonathan was you're a blessing to people. That people come into contact with you, and even though you're suffering, and even though you struggle, people bump into you, and they are better because they saw you. 
Last week, we talked about being humble, being sympathetic, loving, not reviling the one who reviles you. And here's what Peter's doing this morning. He's saying, if you want to jump into that pool where, you, where it's possible for you to not revile, where it's possible for you to be courageous and to be joyful and to be a blessing and to receive the blessing, what, what is the means by which we can, we can do that? Because that's not possible. Well, Peter this morning is going to tell them how. Two phrases that he's going to use in verse 17 or verse 18 and then, and then again in verse 1. And the answer is this. Keep your eyes fixated on Jesus. And it's a little cliche maybe, but it is exactly the argument that Peter makes. Specifically, if you want encouragement. That's the first section, verses 18 through 22. Look at the suffering of Jesus. Yes, I know you're persecuted and I know you're struggling, but if you want to be encouraged, the key is to look at Jesus and to see him and to hear him and to receive him and to be encouraged. And then the second section, it's very similar kind of argument that he makes. Yes, I know you're persecuted, and I know you're grieving, and I know you struggle, but, but you want to be empowered to do all the things that I've mentioned, including fighting your own sin? Look to the cross. Look at Jesus. And so for us this morning, you know, we're not being persecuted in the same way that these five churches were, but man, we're discouraged we're discouraged like Ryan opened with. It's, we are in a season of heaviness. I mean, we are burdened with our sin. And so I think Peter's message to these churches speak to us today, that, that we would be encouraged and that we would be empowered to fight besetting sins if only we would look and fixate on the cross of Jesus. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. Before I read our passage I'll warn you or give you a heads up. This is a hard passage, okay? Probably the hardest passage I've preached. Hard in that it's not easy to understand. There's lots of understanding on some of the elements, and we'll talk about some of those difficult to understand elements, but one in particular, verse 19 of chapter three, um, one commentator I was reading said that he calculated 180 different possibilities for the meaning of the 11 words in this verse. But don't worry, I'm going to give you the right one today. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk about some of the challenging parts, but I'll say this kind of up front. Even though we're not going to necessarily get the perfect answers for all these questions, I mean, there's lots of views on some of these things, and I, I believe very strongly that this, that even if we can't answer some of the difficulties of the text, I don't think it takes us away from what Peter's trying to do today, which is Christ is our encouragement, Christ is our empowerment. Yes, there's some difficulties, but I think the, the emphasis that Peter is making is clear, even if some of the elements are a little challenging. So let's read the passage. I'll show you some of the difficulties, and then we'll pray. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, 
in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been, having been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. and They malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I'll put the four questions up on the screen that traditionally are debated in this passage. The first bullet point probably being the most significant of the challenges. Verse 19, talking about someone, he going and proclaiming to the spirits in prison. The he referring to Jesus. Where did Jesus go? When did he go there? To whom did he speak? And what did he say? Okay, so... Yeah, that's a tough one. Then how and in what way does baptism now save you? Are we able to cease from sinning in our suffering? Verse one of chapter four. And then lastly, which I won't spend a lot of time on this morning, in what way was the gospel preached even to those who are dead? So bet you're happy not to have my job this morning. Let's pray and we'll jump into the text. Father, we're thankful for your word that we can find encouragement and empowerment when we look at Jesus. And God, we need that this morning. I, I need that this morning. And so God, I pray that as we study and we think about some, some, some difficult texts, God, I pray that, that we will see the sun that comes out of this, the bright sun of encouragement and motivation to fight against our sin. And so God, we pray this morning that we would hear from you through your word, through your spirit, that we would be convicted where we need to be convicted, that we'd see our sin. I pray against pride and blindness to where we've gone wrong, but that we'd be convicted and we would walk into the light that we may do battle against our sin, God. And I pray for the one that's, that's discouraged this morning, that God, that we would see Jesus and find encouragement and we'd find hope and we'd find a future today that we need. So God, help us to understand, help us to focus as we hear from your word today. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. So let me just real quickly show you kind of the outline of the text. First uh, Peter 3, okay, I, I mentioned it in my introduction. Pastor Jonathan preached it last week. Verse eight, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, bless those. Be a blessing, he says. 
Then he goes again in verse 14. In your hearts, regard Christ as the Lord as holy, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect. I mean, this is the call of Peter. All of those things together. Your persecution has nothing to do with who God has called you to be. Don't revile the person that reviles you, but instead, gently and respectfully and kindly share the gospel. And, and on the surface, like that's the swimming pool. It's like, how, how can we do that? Peter's gonna make his argument pretty clear this morning. The only way you can do that is if you look at Jesus, you fixate and center yourself on the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 18 and verse one, that's where I get this from. So verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sin. So he's saying, well, how can you do all these things? Well, well, Christ did. For Christ did this. And then he'll explain some of the argument. But then again, in verse 4, 1, sounds pretty similar to verse 18. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. And then he continues with what are the results? How can you do all that you've been called to do because of Christ. And so we want to start with Christ is our encouragement, verses 18 through 22. I mean, it is amazing the power of a well-timed, well-thought-out encouragement. And, and we've all experienced this. You're having a bad day, or you're discouraged, or you're sad, or you're just exhausted, and that friend texts you, or you get that piece of mail, or someone says something nice to you, builds you up. I mean, the power of encouragement. I was on a run this week. This is an example of how it's not always that helpful. Uh, I was on a run this week, and I had just finished my run, a, a pretty long run, so I was feeling good, and I stopped running, and a car drove by, rolled down the window. Yeah, come on. He said, don't stop, keep running. And I turned and said, come and run with me. How about, how about that? <laughs> Encouragement is powerful. And this is what Peter is doing. I mean, he's just been telling them some heavy things to do some heavy things. We, we've gone through the passages in First Peter about submission. I mean, that's heavy. Submit to the wicked emperor. Submit in your relationships, in your marriage, submit at, at your workplace, even if, there's, even if there's challenges, we're to submit. And now he's saying, now let me encourage you on the way in which you can do this. And how does he encourage them? He points to Christ. Okay, so he walks through this progression of Jesus's life. And so if, if you're comfortable with writing in your Bible. I, I underline these because I think he's, he's showing them the road that Jesus walked as a means by, of, of encouraging them for the road that they walked. So first, in verse 18, he starts with, he suffered in the flesh. Just like you're suffering in the flesh, Jesus also suffered in the flesh. Then the progression continues. Verse 18, he was next, he was put to death. And so this maybe isn't the encouraging part, but he's, he's essentially saying, like, that's what's coming. You also could be put to death. Peter is himself about to be killed from this emperor for his faith. And so Peter recognizes this. As we follow the progression of Jesus, we're not just going to suffer for him, he's saying. He's saying, you will be killed because of him. 
But that's not the encouraging part. He continues with verse 19. The, the progression continues. He was, or verse 18, he was made alive in the spirit. This is the resurrection. Verse 21, he mentions the resurrection specifically. He's saying, not only will you, will you suffer, not only will you be put to death, Jesus was, yet Jesus was made alive. He was resurrected, and he doesn't stop there. It continues in verse 22. He says, Jesus wasn't just brought back to life. He went into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels and the authorities and the powers all being subjected under, under him. So do you see the progression? Jesus suffered. He was crucified. And he was resurrected. And he wasn't just resurrected. He wasn't just brought back to life, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now he's doing the subjecting. Who's the one doing the subjecting? It's not Jesus any longer. Jesus submitted himself while on earth, even to wickedness. People who, who didn't love him, he submitted himself. But now the, the powers, the spiritual powers of the world are now bowing their knee before Jesus. And so Peter is saying, this should encourage you. It's the principle of oneness, that that you get what Jesus get, churches. That when, that when you're unified with Jesus by the, by the power of the Spirit through your faith in his Son, you are unified. You are, you are intimately, closely tied as one together, one person. And so, and, and this is just a, a great gift that we get what Jesus gets. Yes, Jesus suffered. Yes, Jesus was killed. Yet that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the progressions. Peter is saying, if Jesus went through this full progression and you're tied with him through your faith, be encouraged because this is not the last word. One day you will sit triumphantly, supremely over all the pain and all the problems just like Jesus is currently doing right now. And so this, this is what he's saying, and this is encouraging for us, that, that if you're in the fog right now, the fog of, of life, if you're overwhelmed, if, if victory is hard for you to imagine, think of Jesus Center yourself on Jesus. What's, what's our encouragement in whatever it is you face? It may, not be the, it may not be persecution. It's probably not persecution. But we said it, it looks a lot of different things in 1 Peter. It may be grief. It may be a struggle with sin. It may be sadness. What is, what's the answer for finding encouragement? Look and fixate and center yourself on the life, the death, the burial, the, the ascension of Jesus. Because you get what he gets. Someone texted me this week with a, with a not good diagnosis. But with the text, she sent me a verse. I, wasn't, I was thinking of what verse can I send to them. She sent a verse that really echoes precisely what Peter is saying here. Here was the verse that she sent to me, Isaiah 26, three through four. You keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you. What a, what a passage, because he trusts in you. Verse 4, it's on the screen. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Do you want encouragement? Are you, are you overwhelmed? Blessed is the one whose mind is stayed on Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what Peter is saying. You want encouragement? Focus on Jesus. Look, read about him, study him, look at what he's done, because that's what God has in store for you. Now, I feel pretty confident that that's, the, that's what Peter's trying to do in these first couple verses. I've, I've not explained, but kind of danced around verses 19 through 21, um, so maybe we should look at that for just a minute. But I think that's the point. I think the point is he's trying to encourage them that look at all that Jesus went through and how he, he was victorious. And then he gives this example of Noah in verses 19 through 21. 19 is the big one, verse 19, in which he, Jesus, I, I would assume, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Okay, so well, what is he saying? When did Jesus do this? Who, who is Jesus going to and who is he proclaiming to? And I think I've alluded to this. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with, with saying that we may not know for certain what Peter says here. And that not knowing for certain what something means doesn't take away from the inerrancy or the inspiration or the authority of God's word. It just admits that we are imperfect and we have limited understanding and we, we operate this, I operate this way in, in lots of areas of my life. There are things that I don't understand that still work, even though I don't understand them completely. And I think this is an example of that. We may not know exactly what he means, but God's word is still true. But let me tell you what I think it means. And you can disagree. We can have a cup of coffee and talk about how we don't really know. I think this is talking about a pre-incarnate Jesus going through the Holy Spirit to indwell Noah to proclaim to his, the other people in the world pre-flood of the righteousness of God. So I'll say that again. I think that this, that this um, spirit is a pre-incarnate Jesus who goes and proclaims through Noah, through Noah, so Second Peter tells us that Noah was a herald of righteousness. It's the same word. Herald is the same word for proclaiming here. So I think it's not literally Jesus is in the Spirit, but I think it is, it is Jesus through the Holy Spirit empowering Noah to share God's righteous, of God's righteousness and faith before the flood to the people in the world. And the main reason that I think that is I don't like the other solutions. And, and I, I think that when, it, when Second Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness and connects to this proclaiming in First Peter, I think that's a strong argument that it's not Jesus actually doing the proclaiming, but the Spirit working through Noah. If, hopefully I haven't lost you. So I'll tell you the, the other main views for this would be that after Jesus' death and before his resurrection, his spirit went, spirit went down to Hades or the temporary holding place for those who have died and that the spirit of Jesus proclaimed the gospel to these people.
people who died pre or during the flood and that they got what's called a second chance to respond to the truth because they never had that proper opportunity to respond. And there's all sorts of other views, but, but that's kind of the main other view that between his death and resurrection, the spirit of Jesus went to Hades and proclaimed the truth for some say the, the, sons of, the sons of God from Genesis 6, some say people who died in the flood, and on and on and on we go. But I think it's best understood as it being actual Noah who proclaimed to his actual people. Um, what's the point of this whole little excerpt with Noah? I think it's, it's pretty simple. So back with me if you've, if you've wandered off in your minds. I think he's saying, in Christ you can be victorious that even if the floods overwhelm you, eight people were saved, and that's because of the work and the faithfulness of God. And he's saying, you can triumph at this. Eight people triumph at this. They, they beat this. They, they were, were able to come through this because you can have victory in Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is it doesn't matter the flood that overwhelms you when you're with him. That's what baptism is. He's not saying baptism literally, when you get put in the water, that's not, that's not what saves you. He says it's not, not the washing of your body of, of dirt. It's what baptism represents. Okay, what does baptism represent? Romans 6, 4, you're buried with him in his death. You're risen to walk in the newness of life. It's this, this supernatural connection with Jesus that we get through our faith in him, that we are connected, the oneness with him. And so baptism is a picture of us saying, we are with him. His death is our death. His life is our life. His fate is our fate. And so the point is, you can be triumphant over whatever you face. Just like the flood, these eight people with the flood, because when you are, when you are related to Christ in oneness, you can be victorious. But that's not it. So look at verse one of chapter four. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So again, connecting back to Jesus. Connecting, it's all going back to him. What is the result for this? Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, th this is a pretty remarkable passage. I've not spent a lot of time on 1 Peter 4, 1, but the phrase that has stood out to me this week, arm your thinking. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What, what we get here is kind of the full circle. Going back to the death of Jesus doesn't just encourage your heart, which it does, that's what he's just said, that you can be victorious with him. But now he's saying it can empower you to live in a different way. I mean, you're, you're armed to go to battle, to not please the passions of your flesh, but to follow the will of God. If you would arm your thinking with the same way that Jesus thought, you are able to have victory over your sin. I mean, that's a powerful promise. He's not saying that you can cease from sin. He's not saying, I'm sorry, he, he is saying you can cease from sin, but what does that mean? I don't think he's saying you're never gonna sin again because we know in scripture, Peter's a really good example of sin that creeps up into our life and gets us. 
But what I think he, what I think he is saying is, is that when you are fixated and centered on Jesus, when your mind is, is fully focused on the, on the suffering, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, you're so focused on him. Even if you suffer, you have lost your appetite for sin. Sin has no appeal to you. I mean, you are centered on Jesus. Suffering's not gonna take it away. Nothing's gonna take it away because you're focused on Jesus. And it's not literally ceased from sin, but you are so focused on Jesus, overwhelmed by what he has suffered for you on the cross that you don't have time for sin. You don't have heart for sin. You don't have, there's no appeal to sin because you're so centered on him. It's very similar to, to when you give your wedding vows. And you stand up with the pastor and you forsake all other women. You forsake all other men. You don't literally forsake them. You're not literally casting all other males and females out of your life forever. But it's a picture of saying it just looks like a forsaking because you're so focused on your wife. It may seem like a forsaking, even though it's literally not. You're so, you're so focused on your wife on serving her, for caring for her, for spending time with her, that it, that it appears that you've literally forsaken all other women. And, and it's the picture here with, with suffering and fighting sin that we're so focused on Jesus. That, that what is sin? What is sin? We're suffering, we're struggling, but it's Jesus. Jesus also suffered. That, that we, don't, we don't go towards our sin. So the question is, does your knowledge of Jesus and your centering on Jesus arm you to fight and have victory over your sin? Because Christianity is not just a set of beliefs that we acknowledge and we understand. Maybe we memorize them. But here Peter's telling us it's more than just believing. It's taking the beliefs and using them, wielding them against your passions of the flesh. I remember a hunt that I went on a couple years ago. Some guys here from the church thought it'd be funny to take the city guy pastor out on a hunt. So we went pheasant hunting. Okay, what an experience. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I felt like we were cheating. It was a very um, controlled hunt for pheasants. We, they, put the birds, they put the birds in there for you. That's nice. You knew they were there. So you're walking through and and then we had a dog, a yellow lab with us. He would go get the birds. That's nice of him. And then we would hand them to someone. They cleaned the birds for us. I'm like, this is, this is living. This is great. But I was nervous. I don't use my shotgun ever. And so that first bird that came out and came on my side of the, of the, of the field, my hands were shaking I was nervous to pull the trigger, and by the time I finally got to the point to pull the trigger, uh, my gun was still, on, was still in safety. It was still in safety. So the bird just looked at me and smiled like, see ya. <laughs> but here's, here, here's what Peter is saying, is, is that are you armed? Like a weapon does you no good if it sits in the other room. A weapon does no good for you if it's on safety. He's saying, Arm yourselves with the thinking of Christ and his suffering and use it to actively battle against your sin. I like that second verse there in chapter four. So as to live for the rest of the time, for the rest of your life in the flesh, 
no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's what the arming helps us to do. Jesus, his suffering and his death. I mean, Jesus was, was focused on doing that, the following the will of the Father. And so for us, it's when we think like that, the way that Jesus did, when we consider what he did, it arms us to say no to my passions, but yeah to the will of God. I will follow him even if I suffer because that might be God's will. It will be God's will that you will suffer and you will struggle. But I, because I can think like Jesus did, Mark 8 tells us, this really great scene in Mark 8 where it says, Jesus fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. It's the turning point of the book where he finally says, I see what Jerusalem is and I'm set to go there. And what, what Peter is saying is, that's the way you should think about life. Fixated on following God and not your sin. And he lists the different sins. Different passions and sensuality, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. I think he's saying any sin, what's your sin? I don't care what it is. It may not be drunkenness, it may be anxiety. It may be greed, it may be envy. I, I don't know what, whatever your sin is, Peter's saying, focus on the, on the suffering of Jesus to go to battle against your sin. And what is, what is the key ingredient for us to be empowered to fight against our sin. It's that Jesus loves us. It's not fear. It's not fear. What, what, are we, what is the, the greatest deterrent against our sin? The, the strongest empowerment against what your anxiety, whatever it is. Knowing that Jesus suffered for you because he loved you. It's verse 18. You know, we read so fast over it. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What, what, is, the, what is the arming? It's recognizing that you're in that verse. Christ suffered for your sin. He gave you his righteousness for, for your unrighteousness, that he might, be, that he might bring you to God, and that we would see that love, we would recognize that love, we'd center ourselves on that love, and that we would focus on Jesus alone and not our sin. And so that's the pool. I mean, that, that's the motivation for getting in the pool, seeing Jesus, that we can, we can be humble and we can love and we can care for our enemies if only we would fixate our lives on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for encouragement. We're thankful for that because we are, we are discouraged in, in all sorts of different ways. But God, I pray that today, even as we sing these next two songs, that we would be reminded of your son, Jesus Christ, who was discouraged too, but today is encouraged and so, God, I pray that we would be encouraged by recognizing all that Jesus has done for us. And just make that new and make that real to us. I know we talk about this a lot. Some of us have heard this for years and years and years. But, God, I pray that today, that we would just, it would be real to us. That you are, that your son was triumphant. That he is supreme over all else.
and that we would find encouragement in that, that whatever we face and whatever has us down, that it's not the final word, it's not the last experience. God, and I pray for the person this morning who's just, who's just grown to be okay with their sin. God, I pray that they would see your son Jesus on the cross and their heart would be completely broken. God, again, it's not just a fact. It's not just something we can, we can know, but it will be a, a, an empowering truth to cause us to say no to our passions, but to follow your will for our lives. And so God, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with gratitude because of what your son has done for us today. It's in your name we pray, amen.